You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Marsha Cross stars with Ron Canada and Brian Batt in Pay the Writer, written by Tawny O'Dell and directed by Karen Carpenter, Pay the Writer is now playing at the Pershing Square Signature Center. Cross, who played Brie Vandekamp on Desperate Housewives and was on the series Everwood and Monarch, is a graduate of the Juilliard School. She performed at Williamstown Theater Festival, the Hartford Stage Company, and the Old Globe. Thank you so much for being here, Marsha. It's such a joy to have you on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And so much congratulations on Pay the Writer and coming back to the theater, your home, yes. after so many yes. years. <laughs> so yes, it's been quite wonderful. What is the joy for you of being Pay the Writer? Um, well, it's just... You know, this is what I went to school for, and it's you know, it was my original love, and so uh, I went I went after it fiercely when I was younger, and then I you know wound up in television, and then getting married and babies, and so you know, life has a way of taking another turn that you know doesn't. It's not a great life doing theater and having kids. I you know, so now that they're older, and this opportunity came up, um, and that I, and I love the material. And my husband said, you should go do this is what you should be doing. <laughs> Bless his heart. Oh, my God. He's been holding down the fort. Um, I, you know, kind of did go back and forth a little bit, mostly because of my home responsibilities. But then uh, I came and, yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah, to me, I see the play as really, um, well, so many things, but it's about the cost of being an artist, how it impacts mm -hmm. relationships. You know, we have... Cyrus Holt, this world famous writer who's trying to navigate how to live in the world as an artist and also connect with people he loves, like his ex wife, who you play, mm -hmm. Lana, and the mother of his children. What do you love about Lana? Well, <laughs> um, you know, at first I thought this is a woman who hasn't been to therapy which I just loved. I felt like this is the woman who really like acted on her impulses and, um, you know, lived for better or worse from her heart, uh, and with a lot of passion and fell madly in love with this, you know, kind of genius and, you know, dropped her own ambitions. And I think there, uh, it's probably, well, there is regret there. Um, but I just, I just loved, uh, how she didn't suppress anything. That was really my favorite part and of who she is. For people who might ask you, you know, what is Pay the Writer about or how do you see it? What would you say? How do you describe the play? 
I think the play is all about love. It's all about uh, love, period. That's why I think I was drawn to it. And yes, it's about a man's reckoning of his relationships in his life, but it's also, um, you know, we all, it's, it's, it's a universal theme. Whenever anything is a universal theme, you know, it speaks to everyone. We're all going to die one day. And this is a man facing, you know, his death and uh, has a chance to, I don't know, maybe write some relationships or at least, you know, have some closure with them. Uh, I don't think he is going to do that. And I think that's what, why my coming back to his life is very pivotal because I think she's always been in the emotional social realm much smarter than he is. <laughs> he's, he's a man who needs uh, some, you know, internal work um, because he hasn't had to deal with that. He's really, you know, which is sometimes the case with very successful people. They, they, and he's one of those characters, you know, they drink, they uh, have a lot of marriages and women and, you know, uh, but never really totally go inside. And the world is always reflecting their brilliance. So they don't have to work that hard in the world in, in, in a certain way. So sh- she's pivotal to his having a good ending as, yes. as good as could be expected. Yeah. Cause in a way it's sort of, dare I say a reckoning, you know, he's really trying to understand who he is and the choices he makes. And then there's you there saying, well, here's, here are the sacrifices and I'm here and your children are here. There's a wonderful story I heard about when the play first came into your life, sort of this surreptitious, you know, sort of fate happened, right? That you wanted, you were thinking about doing a play yes. sit out in the universe. I love that story. It's crazy. I was sitting with um, a casting director who has since retired. His name is Glenn Daniels. And he was in New York when I was in New York and young. And he was so wonderful. And I, I saw him on Instagram and reached out because I just wanted to thank him, you know, as an older woman now to say like, oh gosh, you were just so kind. So we had coffee and out of his mouth comes, well, what do you want to do now? And I just immediately said, I want to do theater. It's what I've always wanted to do. And then I swear it was like 24 hours later that there was this invitation in my box to do a reading of this play. And at first I was kind of perplexed. Huh? What? I think it was going to be in LA at the time. Anyway, and I opened it and I read it and I just said, yeah. Of course, but I was shocked, you know, because I thought this is great. This is, I love, it. you know, whatever. It just was, yeah. It was like a the universe going, okay, here, try this. And it was the perfect size part. It was the perfect. It was a reading, so it was like maybe a ten day commitment, you know. And it wound up being in New York, and it's just everything about it was just perfect. So, I guess there is some truth to that. What you what you put out there yeah. and ask for. Be ready. (laughs) If you build it inside, it will come. And what does, I love that you're back doing theater, you know, because I think about how you started at Juilliard. What does theater Mm -hmm. give you as an artist? Oh my goodness. Well, there are pros and cons. (laughs) (laughs) Pros are that I really do believe right now in this, and there's always been different reasons for it, but in our time right now where everybody is basically uh, a person plus a cell phone in any relationship. This is a time when you go into the theater, hopefully you put that thing away and everybody's having the same experience and being together for this, you know, two hours or however long it is. And I feel like that's so sacred. It's alive. It's present. It's not like a picture of what happened or what you want to happen or what you want to look like or what you want to be. It's like really just being 
present, which is so lacking right now in our culture. So, I mean, I don't think that's why I went into theater. I just, but I do feel like that's what's so sacred about it right now. And I also love that because then we're all alive with this. We're all taking the journey together. And it's really rewarding at the end when people have, you know, had a, a have been moved and laughed and had a wonderful time and feel enriched by it. And a lot of people wait afterwards. And, and I'm so grateful that they've come and that they've had that experience. So that's really rewarding. The cons are <laughs> when you go to these emotional places night after night, you're like, it sure would have been nice if that was a print. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you've got to like recreate, you know, this vast emotional journey, you know, every show. And it's like, oh dear God, that's, you know, it's a challenge. It's really a mirror of life because we don't always have a printed life. And I'd love to, you know, there's moments where you're like, why couldn't I have captured this forever? Right. Um, right. It lives in your heart. How dramatic. Yes. I'd love. Yeah, I'd love to know your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist. I've done some research and learned that you grew up in, where is it, Marble, Massachusetts, and you had some beautiful mentors in your life, but I wanted to hear it from you when you knew you had to be an artist. Well, I first got the bug when I was in sixth grade. Uh, We had an assignment to write a play excuse me, about this book that we were reading called The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Um, And I played Kit, the main character, who's a woman accused of being a witch, which really resonates from, you know, Massachusetts and the whole (laughs) Salem Witch Trials and all of that. Um, And I remember the teacher, Betsy Banks was her name. She was directing, and I think I was very timid. And then one day she kind of pushed me, and then out it all came, you know, (sighs) dolls, very dramatic and... um, and I was like, that's awesome. That felt great. And I just thought, I think I want to do that. And then I got to high school and that was when I really had um, a kismet with this teacher. Um, her name is Betsy Joseph. It was Betsy Wright at the time. And I was 14. I, I literally like, will you take me to New York? She said, yes. She took a few, uh, a couple other students. We saw a chorus line. We went to the World Trade Center, ironically, um, Sardis. Uh, and she really um, was instrumental in supporting me uh, through high school. I went to a summer program that she told me about because I was really not aware of, you know, I was just in this little kind of very suburban town. And she really led me to um, grow to different things. She had me direct um, a play. She had me. I was president of the drama, you know, all of that great stuff. You know, she was just, uh, she was just there for me and believed in me. And she's still a dear friend to this day. I love it. The two Betsy's who really impacted your life in that very profound way. I want to just unpack this a little. Can you talk about that first Betsy and being doing the show and how that made you feel? Is it possible to put into words what that was like for you? I think what was the hook was, I think it now when I look back, I didn't know this term at the time, but I think it was that, you know, the, the flow, the creative flow where you leave yourself and you're, you're in a, something else. You're, you've left your own consciousness and you've merged and um, yeah, it's the 
wonderful thing about flow when you're actually in your art, when you're not watching yourself or judging yourself or look, you know, it, it's, it's a, such an incredible feeling. I think every artist wants to be there. And so that was the, that really got me. And I still think about the other Betsy, Betsy Joseph, that was Betsy Joseph, who took you to New York, you know, and had you and to Sardis and to see theater. And yeah. is it, do you mind sharing what that was like for you? You know, seeing New York oh. and theater and that experience. Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, you know, I, even though I was only 45 minutes from Boston, it was like Boston might, might, might as well have been hours and hours away. And New York was just, you know, even further. And it's just, you know, it was like a dream come true. And, and that I had the audacity to ask her, <laughs> just kind of look back and I go, Oh my God. And that she said, yes, you know, and I think it was a joy for her as well. So, um, it's extraordinary that she did it actually, I think it was myself and three other girls that wound up going and, and ironically, my mother had um, a teacher or a paper editor or something that took her to New York, which was a huge thing for her. So it's, it's really profound what uh, that gift to a younger person is and can be. And it's, you never forget it. I mean, my mother tells that story, she's 89. She'll tell it like, oh, and she took us to New York and we saw this show and that show. I mean, it's just a, it's a brilliant gift to give somebody. Yes. And then I love how that launched things. And then what led you to decide, okay, I'm going to audition for Juilliard? Oh, I was just obsessed. I spent my entire high school just living in the clouds, obsessed about going to New York. I mean, that's all I thought about. Um, and then when the time came, I graduated early. I got like a bunch of jobs. I went to schools and auditioned. In fact, um, well, I didn't, I auditioned for Juilliard and my mother came with me and we have this memory of being on the Amtrak train and her being uh, waiting in the waiting room with me. And when the call sheet, the call back sheet went up, you know, how some woman had been chatting with her the whole time and then her daughter wasn't on it. And then she left and my mother was like, Oh my God, you know, because <laughs> I was on it. And, um, but I didn't understand what Juilliard was, which was probably a good thing. I only auditioned for it because um, my friends brother's girlfriend was a, much more sophisticated than I was. And she was a ballerina. And she said, well, you're auditioning for Julia, aren't you? And I said, of course, because <laughs> I had no idea what it was. And I, I don't even know back in the day because it wasn't like you could go to the internet and look it up. So I'm not sure how I figured it all out and, you know, how I did any of it actually. And, you know, and, and I just remember that the audition, the, the price to, um, you know, to apply was, it was like $50 and all the others were 25, something like that. And I was like, oh my goodness. And then I got in and I turned them down because I still didn't understand. And Because my exposure to acting really was musical theater, of course, you know, because that was kind of the more broad strokes and I still love it. I wish I could sing. God, I wish I could sing. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I was going to go to Syracuse University for musical theater, which, you know, I would be like, you know, uh, a waitress right now, I think, because I really don't have that much talent there. Um, and then I got the, uh, in the mail, I got this acceptance thing from Juilliard and there were only 26 names on this, on my class list with people from all over the world. And I was like, okay, it really was like one of those angel spirit moments where, or maybe my own, duh, you're making a mistake. 
So I called Juilliard and I said, I think I've made a mistake. May I please still come? They said, yes. They gave me half scholarship. It was amazing. And, um, you know, so, and off I went on the path that was the better path for me. <laughs> so, and yeah. people might not know that you had, you know, were performing, you know, at Williamstown and the Old Globe and the Hartford yeah. stage. And isn't there a beautiful story about when you were in Twelfth Night that that's when you got this incredible TV offer? And <laughs> well, actually, what happened was I was, um, oh gosh, I was doing. Well, I went to, from from Juilliard to Williamstown, which was incredible, and then from there to Hartford Stage, where I was a director named Mark Lamos, who's a wonderful director. And then I started going back and forth to New York because someone in New York said, "You know, if you really want to be on stage, you have to get a name for yourself." Which I kind of wish I hadn't listened because I don't know that it's true. But anyway, I went back and forth, and that's where you know the TV stuff started to happen. And one summer, I did Two Gentlemen of Verona at the Old Globe, and that was great. Then I was doing Melrose, and well, a few things happened in there. But I'll just stick to this one fact, which was I was doing Melrose, and I auditioned for Twelfth Night down there, and I got the part. And my agents at the time said, "I'm sorry, you can't do it." And I said, "Like hell, I can't do it. Are you kidding me? This is what I want to do." Um, I didn't go to, I didn't aspire to be on Melrose, no offense to all my Melrose fans, but that was not my dream. I wanted to do theater and to do, you know, Violet and 12th night. Are you kidding me? So I, I hired a Cessna plane and I flew on the nights where there was schedule overlap and I would grab my little pillow and I'd meet this pilot and his little Cessna and he'd fly me from, uh, San Diego to Oxnard where, where the beach house was and where all that insanity took place. And, um, yeah, and that's how I made that happen. <laughs> but I don't even know who that girl was. But yeah, I did that because I was not going to not do that play. It was like, no, you're not going to do your dream because you, you're you over here, even though it's not really what I plan. I, I don't know. So I'm glad I did. <laughs> that is devotion. Your time is a million, was, right? <laughs> yeah. To do both. What? Yeah. And I also want to talk about how extraordinary that you're the co-founder and president of the HPV Cancers Alliance, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering individuals with knowledge about the health and lifestyle impact of HPV infection. Can you talk about that? Oh my goodness. Well, gosh, that's a complete shocker in my life. It was yes. not one of my ambitions be the spokesperson for anything. But, uh, you know, over a decade ago, my husband was diagnosed with throat cancer. My girls were like two at the time. Uh, it was quite horrific for him, certainly for me as well, but it was extra extremely painful treatment. They don't quite do it so brutally. Now they've cut back on a lot of the radiation and the chemo because they found they don't need to be so aggressive. But anyway, the good news is he's fine. He's wonderful. Um, and then over five years ago, I was diagnosed with anal cancer. And only then did I think I would have figured it out back then. Anyway, that there was um, this virus. I mean, I kind of heard it when I knew about it because they said, well, his his chances of survival are better if it's caused by the HPV virus. So and 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 it was so that was helpful. But I didn't take it past there. I didn't know what it was. So then when I was diagnosed, I'm like, what is going on here? And um, it's just this lack of information from cer for certainly people my age 
I don't know about the younger generations because they've dealt with, you know, vaccination or not vaccination or whatever, but I just had never heard of it. I grew up with, you know, all there's herpes and there's, you know, I don't know. And I, I never tested positive for, um, HPV. Uh, my pap smears were all normal. So it was completely out of the blue. So then when I realized, okay, I don't know anything about this. Well, nobody else does. And I was reading online that women were lying and saying they had, you know, colon cancer, if they had anal cancer and nobody understood about this virus, which, you know, basically is something in your young life, everybody, well, it's ubiquitous. Almost everybody gets this. It gets passed around, but it doesn't necessarily turn into cancer for everybody because, it, uh, I don't know, like for me, I think, oh, I was, you know, I was very low in my immunity. I knocked myself out during the show. I crawled to the end. I loved every minute of it, but I was wiped out. So I definitely, my, my immunity was low. And, and so then I was realizing that people were dying because they weren't going to the doctor. They didn't know that um, a hemorrhoid was maybe not just a hemorrhoid, or they didn't want to go to the doctor because they were embarrassed or because it's associated with, I don't know, some kind of wild sex life or something, which I really <laughs> have at it. If you think I've been wild, I don't really care. But, um, I just thought, gosh, I can't let people die because of lack of knowledge. And there's nobody out there that's talking about it. And it's not that I wanted to believe me, if it were like, I always say, if it was breast cancer or anything else, I would have let it every, there's plenty of people who are great at that and want to do it and have done it. But I just couldn't stay silent because if I could save somebody's life, which I I think and hope that I have, but I've also watched, you know, there's a woman who lived not far from me. And I think of her every single time she had three boys and uh, she just passed away for no reason. You know, if you get it early, you know, it's fine. You can handle it. But if you don't, then it's a problem. So for her alone, I go any, you know, it's just, I just couldn't not. And also, you know, I think it has to do with my New England upbringing where I, people are squeamish or whatever. And I'm very much like, your anus, everybody has one. Let's get over it. It's a new frontier. We couldn't talk about our breasts. We couldn't talk about our colons or prostate or testicular. You know, it's just another barrier, but it's ridiculous. And common sense, which is pretty New England. You know, it's like, let's just, let's just talk about it and save lives and get on with this. And um, so that's, that's how it all came about. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing. I think it's so wonderful that you took your on this mission to take the stigma out of something so personal, you know, that people are it, it shouldn't be a stigma. Just yeah. same as there shouldn't be a stigma yeah. back in the day about having breast cancer or testicular cancer, whatever. It's just, you know, it's cultural and yes. culture moves and changes. And so it has to it takes someone to like me who just can't keep you know, who just goes, Oh, please, and moves through it. It won't be the case forever. Because it's about being human. You know, we're allowed to be human, you know. and Well, everybody has an anus. Mostly everybody gets this virus. It's nothing to be ashamed about. And I feel so lucky because I didn't, there are many, many women younger than me who have had uh, 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 abnormal pap smears, which basically means that you have HPV cancer cells that are growing. That's why you get an abnormal pap smear. Here I'd gotten a pap smear my whole life and never knew that the abnormal cells are caused by the HPV virus. And I think most other women don't know that as well. So, um, but younger people, or, or if they have an abnormal pap, oh my gosh, I'm really talking about this a lot. 
pap smear, they're really upset and they, they are frightened and they don't want to tell anybody because they feel like, I don't know, ashamed or something. And I just don't understand that because they didn't do anything. And it, it it's just, a woman told me I, I had to have a hysterectomy and I didn't tell anybody in my family. So she went through it alone because of this virus. I mean, that's insane. It's just crazy. So we need to stop this. And women, of course, why do women always have to, you know, yeah. be on the frontiers of shit? It's, it's ridiculous. So yeah. we need to take care of ourselves. What got you through that period in your life that when you were you know, going through treatment, if you don't mind me asking, <laughs> Uh, my girlfriends, I had a, you know, a coterie of the most amazing women who just uh, took care of me, uh, which is unusual because a lot of people go through it alone or they have, you know, one or two people. I was very lucky. Um, my husband, I looked at him, and I said, you get the girls and, and, the, and my women friends took care of me, which was a perfect division of labor. And, um, and I got through it and, and I'm fine. You know, it's it, I've had worse things happen in my life, like you know, <laughs> um, and you, no one would have ever known about it if I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, somebody needs to speak out. So, yeah. You know, and I think about coming back to pay the writer that really it's about a celebration of life in a way mm -hmm. too, you know, and, yeah. and being grateful for the people in your life. And how has the experience of doing live theater now uh, changed you? Is it hard to put into words? Because I know you're in it right now. Yeah. Well, um, I think in a way I love it even more than I expected to. Uh, I do find it challenging just because of the particular route that she takes in, in some of the play. Um, I don't know. I just, I think it's just, it's, it's a wonderful art form all to itself. You know, acting is acting, but it's vastly different. I also love the community. I love the schedule. I love the people. Um, I think this is really a play in process. I don't think it's a finished product, oddly enough. Uh, we did <clears throat> one reading of it and then rushed to put it on here. But it's really, I, I think it's going to wind up having some rewrites and continue to grow. Um, at least I hope it does, because I think it's worthy of, of that. It, it needs more time. Um, but I, that's how I see art. You know, it's like you keep polishing the sculpture, you keep, you know, at the painting or whatever. So I see it as a living, breathing piece of art that's just begun, really. And the title, you know, couldn't be more relevant. But what I was told was that the title was in place, right, long before <laughs> We didn't even like the title. Like, pay the writer. I don't know. It didn't really seem to totally speak to what the play was about. Right. But you know, I didn't say anything. That's not my, you know, I don't know. It's the writer's decision. And um, but then it turned out to be so, what prescient or whatever. It was like, oh, okay. Well, that's the perfect title right now. Oh boy, yeah. That that's really it's really a, quite a tough time um, in our industry. Yes. And uh, I have a lot of feelings about that too. But you know, unless yeah. we share in the earnings, then you know, people are not going to be able to pursue their passions. It's how I survived. You know, we. We do something, we get residuals. They, they just cut back on everything. And they're not paying people who've done, like I have done years worth of work and streamers. They're yeah. taking them, they sell them. They're not giving. Now, I, I know I was really fortunate. So, <clears throat> but, but 
again, why am I, you know, equivocating? Because you still should, yes. you know, you don't get to rob people and because this, that we are not up to date with our um, contract contracts. So they're like, oh, good, we can just get away with this. And they've gotten away with it for a long time. Um, but it's the people who are starting out. It's the people who don't make, you know, hit a hit show. That's the fight really. Uh, because they can't pay their rent. If you keep nickel and dime down to one day of work and no real part of the show, I mean, there's a woman on orange is the new black. I think who wrote about it. And she was in the show like every week, but every week they probably gave her one day. So she's famous and she literally can't pay her bills. You know, she's got three jobs or something. And I, I, it's hard for people to understand that. Yeah. And if people like myself are speaking out, then people think, well, well, you made a lot of money. Why? And it's like, no, this is an entire, we're speaking yes. out for all the people who you're not paying attention to. That's why every actor, you know, you've seen on the speaking out because we know it's for the, we're, we're on our way out. A lot of us, we've got a few more years and, you know, it's for all the younger generations that, we need to support. Yes. I mean, there's a tiny percentage of actors who can even make the mark of what is it, $26,000 so they get free health insurance. It's a tiny percentage of oh, actors who like can even earn that much. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's very, very Majority. small. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a role now that you're aching to play or does it, is there a somebody you're aching to tackle or is it a part that you, is yet to be written? Wow. Um, I don't know. I'd like to be surprised. I always see myself as a character actress. So mm-hmm. the fact that I start this show in like a dress and trying to get my hair all poofy, I'm always like, how did this happen? <laughs> she, she morphs, but you know, so um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd like to be surprised. I certainly love all the classic plays. I mean, I love great writing. I love you know, the things I love, I don't know that they're going to be done anywhere or that I'm going to be offered those parts, but I'm here. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's certainly where my great love is in great writing. And, um, yeah. And a new place too. I mean, all of it, it's just, I find it so exciting. I really do. And I do think it's sacred. That's the word I keep using. Yeah. at this point in time sacred yeah and just to take yeah. you back if you don't mind to a moment when who you were you know in marlborough in high school and you were getting these opportunities to act was there a moment though when you knew that you had this gift that you you could tell stories <laughs> in this way that you <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh you know i really i don't know if it's just me but you know, and I just recently quoted this Martha Graham quote that, but basically I think for me, I'm always questioning it. It'll be a lifelong pursuit of trying to do better and better and better. And I don't think I'm ever going to feel like, oh yeah, I'm all that, or I can do that. It's all in the striving and that, you know, to keep working at the craft. Um, I don't know that I'm at a place. Yes, I have a lot of experience. And I do have a lot of knowledge. And I found that out because someone asked me to direct something and I thought it would just be quiet and out of my mouth poured, you know, gobs and gobs of great <laughs> wisdom because, you know, you're around long enough, you learn. Um, so I do have a lot of knowledge, but I think the actual process of acting to me is always just about every night, what can I do better, learn, add, you know, it's, it's that for me. What's the quote? 
the Martha Graham quote, if you don't mind sharing oh, it. Oh, gosh. Well, let me see. I have my phone here, and I can probably pull it up. Um, it's, uh, gosh, I had it in my, my dressing room uh, for all of Desperate because, you know, it's scary to take chances. And I would read this because when I started playing Brie, it was, she was on that razor's edge of like, okay, this is really taking a chance because there's nothing safe about what I'm doing here. Cause it was kind of that, you know, not anyway. So here's the yeah. quote. There is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And there's only one of you in all time. This expression is unique, and if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction, whatever, at any time. There is only a clear, divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. Martha Graham. Amen. Ah, oh, that's just gorgeous. Well, Marcia, thank you so much for being on the show. That's a mic you. drop. Yeah, thank you. I know, it's perfect. Thank you for asking me. I'm glad it was there. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's thank you beautiful. so much. Thank you. Thanks for your great questions. <laughs> the theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Sarah Goodman and produced by Anna Strout. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.